Well, good morning. Uh, we have been going through the last couple of weeks a study in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and take that out. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we'll be looking at verses, we've looked at verses 1 through 12. Several weeks ago, we just kind of gave the context of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the most popular and greatest sermon that was ever been preached, the most life-giving sermon. And Jesus preaches it and begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Uh, and so in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, uh, we gave kind of the context several weeks ago, the setting, everything that's taking place in the first century, what each of these uh, Beatitudes mean. And now we're taking each one and going week by week and walking through them. And so we've looked at what it means to be poor in spirit and how they, those who are poor in spirit, will inherit the kingdom, salvation, and what it means to mourn in a way that is comforting and, and, and brings through us compassion on the broken world all around us. And this week we get to look at what it means to be meek. Uh, and how to be meek is, is it actually allows us to inherit everything that we long for, to inherit the earth or the land, uh, we'll see. And so, uh, so let's read this together. Uh, and what I'll do for us is not read 1 through 12 of chapter 5, but I will read 1 through 5 um, of chapter 5, just so we can see where we have been and then the verse that we're looking at this morning. So look with me, chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up onto the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. So this is talking about Jesus. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together and, and to study your word and to worship together and build community around you together. And God, this morning, I'm, I'm thankful for parents that, that desire to, to raise up their children and to point them towards you and to, and to reveal you to them and to image you before them. And so, God, I, I lift up the parents this morning, and I just pray that you would you would help them to understand on a daily basis that, that their sole purpose on this earth is to give glory to you. And the sole purpose of you gracing them with children is that they would reveal who you are to them. And God, we pray for these children that they would place their faith in you and that they would know hope in you. That they would not grow up and, and go through all sorts of brokenness even before you would, would save them. But that they would have a lifetime of just giving glory and honor to you. And so, Lord, we just we pray over those families. We pray over each of us who are parents in this place, hopeful parents, future parents, um, those with grown children. Lord, would you help us to reveal you to, to our children and to all of those around us? And, and God, as we study your word this morning, we just ask that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. God, would you just do what only you can do? And I, I don't know where each of us are this morning as we come into this place. Some of us may be just thriving in you, and, and we're growing, and we're excited about our relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would just continue to deepen that. I pray that we would continue to lean into you and that you would reveal yourself to us and we would grow more excited and more passionate and, and more on your mission and giving you glory in everything that we have and everything that we do. But Lord, I also know that there might be some people in here who are hurting and some who are struggling and doubting and maybe some who are in disbelief. And Lord, this morning through your word, I, I pray that you would speak to each of us where we are. 
And God, I pray that you would bring us into the knowledge that you are the true Lord and Savior and that we today would, would find rest in you. And so, God, for those that don't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. For those that do, I pray that you would build us up in who you are and, and together in community around you. And, God, we do lift up the church of our city as so many churches all around us are gathering together even right now. God, I just pray that you would speak through those that you have put in your pulpit to proclaim your gospel truth with power and clarity. And, God, would many people in our city come to know you today as Lord and Savior? Would you build your church and would you deepen your people in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so as I mentioned uh, several weeks ago, we started this series walking through Matthew chapter 5 and, and really set the context for what's happening here as Jesus brings the Sermon on the Mount. And essentially what is happening is that Jesus has, has come to earth, right? So God, holy God, holy man, has come to earth to do what we cannot do. And we were created, and this is the, the understanding that we need to have if we're properly going to understand what Jesus is, is proclaiming here, because it sounds like an upside-down proclamation. What do you mean, Jesus, that it is a blessed life, a happy life, a blissful life, a, a congratulations to us if we're poor in spirit, if we mourn, if we're meek? And so the context that we need to understand as we dig into each of these each week is that we were created by God to image him, to find our value and worth and purpose and place and who we are in him as he created us to be. But we, the, from the first man and woman who were created, rebelled against him, and, and therefore each of us who come from, and, and, and come from the line of Adam and Eve were born into sin. Our, our natures are rebellious against God. We just instantly and, and just passionately pursue uh, after other things other than God, for, for everything that we long for. Each of us is looking for a blessed life, a happy life, a joy-filled life, uh, a purposeful life, a, a place where we find meaning. And, and we naturally do that in, in a hundred different directions. And we, we struggle, even as followers of Christ, to do that with God. There's a nature in us that just pursues things God created to find everything that we can only find in God the Creator. So we naturally are a, a rebellious people. We also choose to rebel. We, we, we are confronted with decisions every single day. Do I give glory to God for everything that he has created me to give him glory for and use everything he has created to give him glory? Or do I seek to try to gain and accomplish what I can only find in him with the things that he has created? And in that rebellion, God, in his great love for us, in his grace for us, he sends his son, Jesus, who is holy God and holy man, to live in our place. He lives in a way we cannot live, perfectly in community with his father, perfectly putting on display what it looks like to give glory to God in all things, to live in obedience to him. And then he goes to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. And then he rises from the grave to overcome sin and death, to defeat all that is defeating us, all that is keeping us from community with God that we were created to have. And now by God's grace, through faith, we can believe that he has done all of the work for us to have salvation and life and to be brought back into community with God, to be restored in him, to have passions for him, to have desire to live in obedience to him, to, to live as our 
Christ, Lord, and Savior lived before us so that we might actually walk in the freedom that God has created us to walk in. And when we get to the Beatitudes, again, we're not looking at this list of things that Jesus is giving us in the Sermon on the Mount through the Beatitudes to say, if you are poor in spirit, if you mourn, if you are are meek, then you will have all of these things. It's not a list of things to do to gain God's favor. It's a list of the things that are characteristic of the heart who has placed their faith in Christ and what he has done for them. And then by grace, there's transformation from the inside out that we might begin to walk in desire to live in obedience to God. And these things that Jesus is talking about are the heart posture of one who's being transformed by Christ. One who has placed their faith in him, who is walking in him, who is in community with God, their creator. And the posture of their heart begins to put on display these characteristics, these values. And in essence, that's what Jesus is bringing up in the Sermon on the Mount through the Beatitudes. He's, he's talking about values. And, and, and as I mentioned, every single one of us, we desire a happy life, a blessed life. We, we want to pursue things. We value things. And we find put worth on things, or in other words, worship things, that we believe if we worship them well, if we value them enough, that they'll bring about a desired outcome. And for us, that's kind of the joy-filled, fulfilled, satisfied, blessed life, however we're defining that. But every single one of us has values that we believe if we hold to, it'll bring about a desired outcome, a a salvation, if you will, a satisfied life, if you will, purpose and value. So every single one of us is pursuing that. And we're pursuing it with all that we have. We're, We're thinking about it constantly. We're working towards it constantly. We're trying to gain everything we think we need for that. And we're living in those values, whatever they may be, to bring about a desired outcome. And this is what we do. It's what every leader does, every new king, every new ruler, every new president. We do it every four years. Anybody who is stepping into leadership over people And we ourselves are looking for this inwardly, and so it resonates with us when leaders step forward. And every time a new leader steps forward, they bring about a certain set of values they believe that if we collectively follow, we'll bring about a desired outcome. Now, Jesus is doing the same thing. He has come to earth. He has started his ministry. He's going around proclaiming that he is the Messiah, that he is God, that he has come to save, that he's come to set us free, that he's come to do what we cannot do on our behalf so that by grace we might be saved. And he brings about these values just like any other leader would. So in one sense, very similar to the leaders of the world. But Jesus is also doing something completely opposite of the other leaders in the world. See, as some kings, or all kings, really before Jesus and after Jesus, have come and lived and died, kingdoms rise and fall, Jesus comes and he says, I am the eternal king. I am the the everlasting king, that my kingdom does not fall, that it is eternal, that that those who are in it, they have everlasting life in an everlasting place where they belong and they understand who they are and everything they were created to do and have an eternity to worship and to be free and to be happy and to be fulfilled and to be blessed. He's bringing about a completely different kind of kingdom. 
Now, when we hear these Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, we think, man, that is absolutely countercultural. It's upside down, is it not? Like, this is not the thing, like, I said in week one, if we're just thinking about and listing out the things we value to bring about certain outcomes, being poor in spirit, meek, and mourning, those probably wouldn't make our list right off the top of the bat. Maybe some of us would think of, oh yeah, doesn't Jesus say some of these things, so maybe I should, we're here at church, so I'll list some of these things out. But typically, we would pursue these types of uh, of values and virtues in the things of the world. And so when Jesus comes in and says, hey, there's this spiritual aspect that's happening that I am bringing about as your king and the kingdom that you long for that are different than the way we pursue things in the world. See, it's, what Jesus says is, seems upside down to us because we naturally seek change from the outside in. If I get this, then I'll have that. If I gain this or this relationship, these are the things that I need outside to come into my life to transform me, to bring wholeness and happiness and fulfillment. But Jesus comes in and he actually flips it upside down. But when we discover what he's actually saying, we discover that it's right side up. It's everything we've ever longed for. That he transforms us from the inside out. That there's a new way of life in him. Now I can begin to see everything that I do in the world as a way to reveal something rather than a way of needing something. I can, I can put on display who Jesus is and who I am in him. And I don't feel like I have to use people in relationships to get something I need because I have everything I need in Jesus. I don't have to use the things of the world to gain or fear losing to get satisfaction because I'm completely satisfied in the one who created me to be satisfied in him alone. And now everything I have I use to reveal who I am in him. It's completely countercultural. It's completely upside down, but we actually begin to discover, man, this is everything that I've longed for. Like, it sounds so crazy, but when I begin to dig in and understand what Jesus is saying, I go, man, this, this is the blessed life I'm looking for. This is everything I've been longing for and chasing after and pursuing and and desiring. And and I never would have thought of it in this way. But when Jesus, God, shows up and says, let me open your eyes to the reality of everything you were created to know in me. Then suddenly our eyes are open to everything we were created for. And what Jesus is really saying with these Beatitudes is, I am the one that is worth all of your value. I am the one that you are to worship for all things. I'm the one that you need to pursue, not the things of the world. And when you pursue me, those things will grow strangely done. Those things will begin to make sense. You will actually be able to enjoy them in deeper and richer ways. But I am the one that is to be truly valued. Everything you're looking for is in me, and I bring about the outcomes that you long for. I bring about everything that you're pursuing So Jesus presents himself as the true virtue, the true thing that is worth everything that we have and everything that we are. And we desperately need this truth today. Every single one of us. We are are in this this happiness, pursuit of happiness movement. And I, I looked up a lot of statistics. I don't have time to get into this morning. But man, every single one of us is pursuing happiness with all that we are. I was just reading about a, a class at, at Yale University. It's the most popular class to this point. It's only been around for a couple of years in university history. 
and it's called The Psychology of the Good Life. It's the number one elective. And everybody in it is pursuing this joy and this happiness and this fulfillment. And, and one of the students taking the class, he said this. He said, it's important because while we may seem to have it all here at Yale, in reality, we're anxious, we're stressed, we're unhappy, and we're numb. See, we're all in pursuit of happiness. But the tendency is for us to seek it in all the wrong places. And it never actually fulfills. So when Jesus shows up and he's standing before this crowd of people, and remember, it's mostly Jewish people, but all types of different backgrounds and beliefs. There's some Gentiles that are there too, which just means non-Jewish people in the first century. And they're all gathered because they're hearing about Jesus and everything that he's been teaching and all the miracles that he's been performing. And so they're gathering and they're going, hey, are you the one? Are you the king? Are you bringing about the kingdom? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've waited on all of this time? Are you the one? And so they're all gathering to see what he would have to say. And then their pursuit, just like us, of the blessed life, the happy life, the, 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 the life that's full of transcendent bliss, we said, is what blessed actually means. That there's a, there's a blessedness that it doesn't come from our circumstances, but from who we are. It's untouchable by the circumstances of the world and the things that happen or don't happen. It's a, it's a blessedness, a happiness that is at the depths of our soul. And as he steps forward and they're all seeking that and we're all seeking that, and Jesus begins his sermon with saying, blessed are. Everybody's leaning in and going, this is... This is it. Like, this is the one. This is the one that we've been following. He's been doing all of this teaching, saying he's the Messiah, and he's come to save us and to set us free, and he's performing all these miracles. So whatever he is about to say, this is what we have always longed to experience and hear. And then he says these things that nobody would have expected him to say. Nobody would have wanted to hear these words. What do you mean... That the poor in spirit get salvation? What do you mean that the mourners are those who are comforted? What do you mean that those who are meek are the ones that inherit the earth? Don't you mean that for us to, to, to have this earth that we've longed for, this kingdom that we've longed for, that we need to have power, we need to have honor, that we need to conquer, that we need to gain like, that's what they would have expected to hear. I am here, Jesus would say, to overcome all that is oppressing you physically. But remember, Jesus is pointing out this countercultural kingdom where we actually get the things and the outcomes come that we long for. And it's not about changing from the outside in. See, kingdoms will rise and fall. It's all about transformation from the inside out. And so Jesus comes in and says, I want to transform your heart posture who you are, your identity, then you will be free. Then you will inherit everything, the land there, the earth there. It just represents everything that we want and, and even deeper meaning for, those, for the Israelite people. And back in, in Psalm 37, which Jesus is actually quoting from here, and, and the people, the Israelite people, would have been very aware of this. Their, their biblical literacy was very high. And so you'll see this all throughout Jesus' ministry. He'll partially quote something from the Old Testament. 
And that's because as he partially quotes something, the, the hearers, especially the Jewish hearers, would, they would know where that comes from in Scripture. They would understand the passage. And so Jesus partially quotes Psalm 37, which talks about the hardships in the land the, for the Israelite people and how the, the wicked are prospering. But then there's hope in Jesus because he will bring about the kingdom and the earth uh, and the land that is promised to the people, the Israelite people. And so as Jesus is talking about this, and, and they hear him say, the meek will inherit the earth or the land. For them, this is the biggest piece that they would hear Jesus say. That you're going to bring about the land, the earth, the promised land, that this kingdom is coming that we have waited for and longed for. But then this is also where they would all be offended immediately. Because Jesus doesn't say that the land will come in the way that they think or desire were to come from an outside change. But he says there's a spiritual transformation that actually gives you everything that you want. And so while they're looking to, to Rome to provide some of them, while some of them are looking for Rome to be overthrown, some of them are looking for religious activity to be their salvation, Jesus comes in, and, it, and it's a little bit kind of comical even when we look at it, but he, Jesus really spends more time condemning the Jews than he does the Romans, and that just ticks the Jewish people off. And as I was thinking about this week, I was like, man, what a crazy thought that Jesus spent more time calling the church up than the world out. And this is what he does all throughout the New Testament. But the Jewish people, they, they don't respond well, the religious leaders. And so this is where everybody would be offended. As Jesus said, blessed are, transcendent bliss to, happiness to, congratulations to those who are meek. And they all would have been waiting for Jesus to say something completely different. They would have thought to themselves, what does Jesus actually mean? That the self-sufficient, self-righteous, proud, strong, capable, courageous, confident, satisfied, powerful, rebellious won't inherit the land, but the meek? So, so here's what I want us to do in our last few minutes together. I want us to simply look this morning at what does Jesus mean by happy are the meek? What does the word meek mean for us today? How do we actually live in this meekness? And how do we do so in a way where we actually inherit the land or the earth or everything that we long for and were created to experience in God? So these are the things that we're going to look at really quickly this morning. So what does meekness mean as Jesus talks about it? What is it? Because if we just look up the definition, you Google it right now. It will be the least inspiring definition of what you want to be called, right? Like meekness for us in our culture, this is what it means. To be quiet, gentle, easily imposed upon, to be submissive. In other words, in our culture, to be meek is to be weak. This is, this is just how we see it. And the Greek philosophy of the day, they would have seen it in the exact same way, which is kind of the dominant viewpoint of the Gentiles in the first century. The, the Jewish Palestinians, they have an honor-shame society. So, so power and honor and position, that's everything to them. So Jesus, why would you say being meek is what it actually requires to inherit everything that we long for? Now, they would understand, because of something that we'll see in just a moment, that the word Jesus is using there is nuanced. It's not the same definition that we would use for the term meek, but it's still not what they want to hear because they want an earthly king. They want a ruler who's going to bring them out of physical oppression. 
And, and when we hear that by definition, then there's, there's a couple of different ways this, this passive viewpoint or this, this meekness that's kind of weak and, and just an easy pushover. When we hear that in America, in our culture, we typically respond in a couple of different ways. So if you're kind of a type A, go-getter, you get things done, then you'll hear be meek, and you might immediately kind of go to this place where you're thinking, man, that challenges my personality. That challenges what makes me who I am. Like, I am someone who gets things done. I'm not stepped on. I'm not stepped over. The, The word submissive, I understand it in the context of the gospel, but that's just not me. So, so maybe that's where you are this morning as you just hear that word. Uh, on the other side, we might hear the word meek and a call to be meek. And if we're more of a passive person, we're kind of the let go, let God, or yeah, Jesus, just take the wheel, right? Like we're just, we don't really want to have to do anything. We're just kind of letting it happen. Like it's all, and then we use cool phrases like everything is just God's will. Like whatever happens, happens, right? And so we're passive in our thinking and in our lives, and we just kind of let it go, Right? And so we might hear that and think, oh, good, Jesus is giving me an excuse to be inactive. So the proactive people were going, oh, that's kind of an affront to my personality and who I am and how I work. And then the inactive people are thinking, oh, okay, good, this gives me a little bit of an excuse to be inactive. Like whatever God's will, he will just do. It'll just happen. So on one side, we think for the proactive people, I don't like that. For the inactive people, they feel like maybe it gives them an excuse But neither of those definitions are what fits what Jesus is talking about. In fact, Jesus is not even saying, hey, meet somewhere in the middle of these two. So proactive, become a little bit more passive, and passive, become a little bit more proactive. No, Jesus is talking about a third way, a way of identifying with who we are in him and and knowing who we are, where we belong, and and what we're to do, and our purpose in life, and our worth, and our value in him, and, and everything that we do comes through the identity that we have in him, and so we're satisfied and whole and full, and so what Jesus is talking about is this way of when we're poor in spirit and have salvation in him and him alone by his grace through faith, When we mourn our own brokenness and sin, and then that allows us to mourn the brokenness and sin of the world around us and bring compassion through our lives, that we will understand then who we are. That that there's a power that's happening in us that comes in our salvation through God and his power and the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us and, and defines us in all that we are and satisfies us in everything that we have. But there's a humility that comes with that power because it's it's not mine. It's not my power. It's not my purpose. It's not my will. It all belongs to God, and I have it through him by his grace. So what Jesus is saying here when he used the word meek could also be translated gentle or humble. And I think meek is the best translation, but I think gentle and humble, it kind of helps us understand what he's talking about here. So what we need to understand is that when we are meek, it's not a lack of power. It's not a lack of of understanding of who we are, an ability to be proactive. It's actually a power that is in God with the wisdom to understand why God gives it to us. With the ability to use it rightly for the right reasons and the right purpose. See, the word that Jesus used there for meek is actually a term in the Greek that would have been used in the first century to describe a, a horse that has been tamed. 
So as we, most of us probably know, we have some experience with horses. Horses are powerful animals. They're beautiful, but they are powerful. And they can be a little scary to get close to, especially for young kids, if the horse is wild, if it's, if it's untamed. But, but if the horse is tamed, it does not lose any of its power. But all of a sudden, it can be controlled by a little bit in its mouth, and a five-year-old can walk up and be with the horse and control the horse. See, see, there's a power that is there, but the horse understands the purpose of the power when it is tamed. I think of it like a, a father who's having a child for the first, very first time, a baby. And I remember when we had our first children, and I felt instantly holding. I don't know if any of you dads relate to me, moms. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I just felt like, wow, there is a million different ways I could destroy this baby. Like, it's just like something easily could happen, right? And so, so I instantly understood that I have complete power over this child. Complete power. But my power was displayed through love and through compassion and understanding of the purpose of why I have this power over this child. And so my power displayed itself in tenderness towards the child. The most nurturing way that it could possibly come about towards the baby. It was power within the context of understanding that I'm a father who is put in charge to love and to nurture this baby. See, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about Christ-like meekness. It's this power under control. It's this power with purpose. It's, it's a power with right reasoning for the right things at all times. It knows when to lay itself down. It knows when to pick itself up. It knows why it has the power that it has and what it, who it belongs to and how to use it and what purpose to use it for because we know why God has called us and saved us and what he is calling us to do. So, so here's what meekness is. Meek. Is being strong without having to brag about your strength. Meekness is powerful without being overbearing. Meekness is being secure so you don't have to feel prideful. Meekness is protecting because you are protected by the sovereign God. It is to submit to authority and not be passive because you understand that God is in control of all things. It is confidence without being arrogant. It is patience because we trust in the sovereign timing of God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, being meek is a trait of the most flourishing human beings. They are also the most refreshing people to be around because they don't feel the need to leverage their power for self or to pretend that they have more power than they have or to sit passively and idly feeling guilty because they could have done more than they did but didn't. There is an eternal satisfaction and level of human joy and godly meekness. Listen, the world understands this as well. And we pursue this and we all long to be this and to follow these types of leaders. A book I was looking back at this week, great book, by the way, that I would recommend to you. It's a business book, so it's not coming from a Christian perspective. Many of you have probably read it. It's the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. And here's what he says. He defines a level five leader. And again, he's looking at it from a business perspective. But I think it, it, it just perfectly puts on display what we're talking about here. Listen to what he says a level five leader is. A level five leader channels their ego needs away from self and into the larger goal of building a great company. 
It's not that level five leaders have no ego or self-interest. Indeed, they are incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the institution, not themselves. Level five leaders are a study in duality, modest, willful, humble, and fearless. They are someone who understands the power they have and desire to use it for the good of something else, and they don't need the attention or accolades that could come from it, but defer all of that for the greater good meekness. See, one who is meek understands the power that they have from God and the purpose that God has given the power to them, their salvation to give him glory and his mission so that the world may know who he is. And we give all that we are to that. It's this power in the Holy Spirit under control. It comes out in meekness and gentleness and humbleness because the power is not my own, but it is greater than anything in the world. There is a joy that comes from it that is far greater. And now, listen, don't we want to be that kind of person naturally? Don't we want to be led by that kind of person? Don't you all wish that you had a CEO, a parent, pastor, teachers, presidents that were defined this way? Haven't you all experienced a CEO, a pastor, a teacher, a parent, a president that's not this way? That, that desires power but uses domination to get it or is passive and frozen and gives no direction because they're afraid of losing control. See, what we want, whether we know it or not, and we walked into this room understanding what Jesus is talking about when he says meekness or not, we all want to be defined by it. You know why? Because Jesus is the true value. Jesus is the one that we long for. He's the one that we desire. He's the one that brings us salvation and life and, and purpose and meaning and satisfaction and mission. And so we desire to be like him. We desire in our salvation to reveal him and to be like him. And listen to what Jesus said. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly at heart and you will find rest for your soul. Then you remember when Jesus, he walked into Jerusalem uh, in the Passover week. He was going to the cross. And, and during Passover week, thousands and thousands more people would be in Jerusalem at the time than normally would be. And, and so Rome also, at the same time Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on a donkey to proclaim who he is and what he has come to do, to bring the, the, the power of the world to its knees, to overcome all of that is defeating us, the Romans would have also sent in many extra guards, but they would have come in on war horses and in chariots to show pomp and power. But Jesus rolls in in meekness in Matthew 21 because he's not here to build an earthly kingdom, but to transform us from the inside out. And he knew he was going to the cross. In his death, there is meekness. He went to the cross when he did not have to. The, the night before in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, God, not your will or not my will, but your will be done. On the cross, he's forgiving those who are killing him. Meekness. He ushers in the kingdom through a display of power and meekness with the right purpose, with the right, for the right things, with the right reasons. And, and after his resurrection, he quotes Psalm 2 in Matthew 28, 18. Here's what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Everything is mine. 
See, in meekness, control power, I have come to do what only I could do in the only way that it could be done. And it might have looked like weakness, but it was control power. I came to set the captive free. And what I accomplished is, is power over sin, power over death, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And how many of you now know that as he has all the power and all authority over all earth, and he defeated sin and death on your behalf, that by grace you can be saved, that when you are his, now you have an inheritance. He is giving you all that is his because he is making you one with him. And listen to me, church, that is really good news. You have an inheritance in him. And let me just close quickly by saying this. You have an inheritance in him now, and you have an inheritance in him to come. You have an inheritance in him now, and, and when we show and understand who we are in him and our identity is lived out through him, and, and this, this power for his mission and his purpose, and, and everything is defined by him, and he is our greatest value, then this inheritance, our hope in him is sure today and tomorrow, because it's, it's for us now, because the earth has been conquered we no longer have to look to things of the earth to satisfy us, but we can look to Jesus who is our full satisfaction. We can live to reveal and not to gain. We experience this inheritance now because we can enjoy what we have and the relationships that we have. We don't have to use things to get what we need. We have everything that we need and we use things to give glory to God. And we have an inheritance later that God is coming and he is making all things new and he is restoring and he is bringing us into a new heaven and a new earth where all things will be as they were created to be and we will be with him for all of eternity. Listen to me, the meek inherit all that they long for.